0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, it's Wendy and it's Jess, and you're listening to the Food Heaven Podcast, your online resource for delicious and nutritious living. Hey everyone, this is Wendy, and today I'm here with Margaret, who's sitting this one in for Jess. Margaret is my amazing coworker, and she's also a certified diabetes educator. Um, in a previous episode, we spoke about pre-diabetes, and a lot of you sent us questions and comments just about how to manage diabetes um, when it's diagnosed. And we just got tons of positive feedback, so we figured this would be a great episode to have. This is. Such a loaded topic, so we're breaking this podcast up into two parts. Today, we're going to get into just an overview of what diabetes is. We'll talk about risk factors, signs and symptoms to look out for, what tests you can do to confirm a diagnosis. Um, We'll also talk about what are the goals for your blood sugar? Um, and we'll also touch a little bit on self monitoring at home, how you can check your blood sugars at home and what you should look out for. And then next month, we'll get into complications related to diabetes, how to cope if you're diagnosed with diabetes, medication use, and lifestyle changes. So, first, I'll start off by talking about what diabetes is. Um, for a lot of people that don't know, they're not sure. Um, diabetes is a group of diseases that result in high blood sugars, blood glucose. Um, so Margaret, can you touch on some of the different types of
1: diabetes? Okay, sure, Wendy. Thank you so much for having me here today. There are different types of diabetes. There are type, there's uh, type one, type two, uh, gestational diabetes. We are also looking at a higher incidence now of what we call type one point five. So it's starting to get a little bit broader and broader when it comes to diabetes. And the reason that we make such a big deal about diabetes is that it is a growing epidemic. We're looking at more and more people developing diabetes used to be that if you asked a question in a group, um, in a a room, how many people have diabetes, you would get small, you know, raising of hands. But now if you ask that question, you're probably going to hit statistics as high as one out of four people having diabetes and so forth. When we look at the prevalence of diabetes or who in the population has more, uh, uh, which type is more prevalent, we're really looking at type 2. Out of um, diabetes, 90 to 95% of people who have diabetes are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Um, Smaller percentage with our type 1s, and then when we look at 1.5, we're looking at higher statistics starting to creep up. And then our gestationals is a type of diabetes that develops during the latter part of the pregnancy.
0: We're going to focus on type 2. Um, I'll go over some risk factors for type 2 diabetes, so family history. Environmental factors, um, being overweight or obese puts you at a higher risk. Um, having some sort of insulin resistance, um, which means that your cells are not responding properly to insulin, um, it leads to high blood sugar. Um, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is um, this is this is popular in PCOS. Race and ethnicity, there's a higher prevalence of type 2 diabetes in communities of color, having a history of gestational diabetes, which Margaret just spoke about what that is, having hypertension, and leading a sedentary lifestyle. Although people can go many years with undetected diabetes, there are some common things that you can look out for. So Margaret, can you touch on some of the common symptoms or signs that people should be looking out for? Mm
1: Really good point. Um, When we're looking at common symptoms for diabetes in general, uh, there's uh, some pretty common um, symptoms that we can look out for. Uh, Polyuria, I'm going to use the technical terms, and then I'm going to go on and explain (laughs) what they are, because it helps me to remember if I think of the technical or the, the medical terms. So we say the three P's polyuria polydipsia and polyphasia that means that polyuria you're urinating frequently oftentimes you'll have folks who come back and they say i remember one client of mine had told me that she urinated 12 times in one day Wow! so if you're looking at running to the bathroom to frequently urinate that can be a sign a little red flag should go up that one that's not a normal occurrence And it could be related to other things other than diabetes. It may not just be, you know, elevated blood sugars causing you to urinate frequently. It may also be a sign, especially with women of urinary tract infections, or it could be something going on with the bladder. But oftentimes, if they're linked with other things, for instance, um, polyphagia. Meaning that you're always feeling that you've gotta eat, you're constantly hungry and you're thirsty, munching right? and pra- frequent thirst. Yeah. So those three combined should raise a red flag that something is definitely wrong. You're urinating frequently, you're always hungry, and you're consistently feeling that you're thirsty. There was a classic um Um, um, what do you call it, Um, excerpt that I had read once where this gentleman has said that, listen, I was urinating and drinking water at the same time. If you can picture (laughs) something like that in your mind, that's the classic signs of the three P's. When we look at our type 1s, unexplained weight loss should be another red flag as well. If for whatever reasons you're experiencing the other three symptoms and you're also losing weight frequently, Um, or consistent, unexplained weight loss, that can be a red flag as well. In our type 2s, weight loss doesn't seem to be so much a factor. as more like weight gain. As weight goes up with our type 2s, especially our pre-diabetics and even our gestational diabetics, if you're gaining a lot of weight, that can be a trigger for developing elevated blood sugar levels, which we link to that insulin resistance status, and then as the weight goes up, the blood sugars are also going up. And then as well, to blurry vision. If you're uh, complaining about your eyes being blurry at all times or you're seeing spots or floaters or there's unexpected vision change, maybe uh, dry eyes could be a symptom or you're looking at red eyes, that could be a trigger as well that something definitely is going on. And, you know, we have to remember that Going for our physicals is extremely important. Yes,
0: so important.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yes, okay. And so how does someone know whether or not they have diabetes? How can that be confirmed?
1: When we look at how we can confirm having diabetes, you definitely have to go in. You can develop diabetes. Oh, and I forgot to have mentioned that uh, fatigue, chronic fatigue can be a trigger as well to... Give you a red flag that something is wrong. You know, we should not just say, "Hey, listen, I'm tired, and I should be tired all the time." No, we should not be tired all the time. That's another red flag as well. Um, chronic fatigue. To go in, talk to your doctor, your your primary care physician, or your primary care provider, and have the blood work done. In order to be diagnosed with diabetes, you have to go in, guys. You can't self-diagnose yourself and say, okay, I have diabetes, now I'm gonna go out there and 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 prescribe myself uh, medication. No, you have to go in and have the blood work done. So there's a couple of different blood work that we can do. We can go in and have an A1C test done, which is very commonly um, used to diagnose diabetes. An A1C test is a uh, blood test that looks at the life of the red blood cell so it's measuring over three to four months or 120 days that life of that red blood cell and how glucose has impacted that red blood cell so when we um look at an analysis of an a1c it's not just what you did the night before because yeah. many times you may say to yourself i have blood blood work in the morning right i'm let gonna not eat right eat let me not eat anything <laughs> just as wendy said let me just go yes. and exercise on the treadmill no it's not going to work like that with the a1c a1c measures back over the course of that 120 days and it can paint a pretty good picture of how high or how low your average blood sugar has been over that period of time. In order to be diagnosed as having diabetes, the A1C test has to be at greater than or equal to 6.5. So if you're if you have an A1C test done and it comes back at 6.5 or greater, you're officially diagnosed as having diabetes. Or pre-diabetics, the range is in between. It's between 5.7 to 6.4, your diagnosis having prediabetes. Prediabetes means that you're starting to have some issues, maybe early stages going on. Maybe some insulin resistance is happening. There's definitely something going on for whatever reason, but it can increase the risk of developing type 2 diabetes if your A1C is between 5.7 to 6.4. If the A1C is less than 5.7, you are considered to not have diabetes. Though if it's close to that 5.7 marker, there might be some stuff starting to happen and we have to start saying, hey, listen, don't be an ostrich. Don't keep your head in the sand. Let's get out there and start doing what we need to do to address the fact that with prediabetes, you have a higher risk for developing type 2 diabetes. So a non- a diagnosis of not having diabetes, A1c is less than 5.7. With full-blown diabetes, A1c is 6.5 or greater. So that's our more common way of diagnosing diabetes. Um, Other blood glucose tests that we can use is having blood work done, fasting blood glucose. You fast it over, you know, that 8 or 10 hour period of time, and then um, the blood glucose is measured. Fasting blood glucose with diabetes is greater than or equal to 126. For pre-diabetics, it's between 100 to 124, and without diabetes, is under 100. Mm-hmm. So that's the second way that we can measure if you have diabetes or not. So A1C, fasting blood glucose test, and then of course our, 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 our oral glucose tolerance test which you're given a, a, a drink that has glu- uh, a glucose or a carbohydrate drink, and over a two-hour period of time, we measure how high or how low the blood glucose levels are. So the two-hour glucose test is measured with two hours. It's a more expensive test. And our standards for someone with diabetes, it has to be 200 milligrams or greater for it to be a diagnosis of diabetes. Pre-diabetics, again, the range is between 140 to 199, and a person who's considered to not have diabetes with the two-hour oral glucose tolerance test, the, the standard is less than 140. So those are the typical ways of measuring, but out of the three or more common ways, usually now with the A1C, because as well, you can't fool an A1C that mm-hmm. measuring over a longer period of time.
0: So let's say you have a confirmed diagnosis of diabetes. Your doctor might recommend that you start self-monitoring at home, self-monitoring your blood sugars, especially if the tests are showing that your sugars are completely uncontrolled. So this involves getting a small machine called the glucometer and it measures your blood sugars. You prick yourself with a fine needle and you start recording your readings on a journal or the machine records it as well. And then you can review them with, their doc- with your doctor. So Margaret, what numbers should people be aiming for when they start monitoring um, with the glucometer?
1: That's a difficult question because there's no real easy answer with that. We say that you really have to individualize what your blood sugar levels should be when testing at home. And it's based on age, it's based on your activity level, is based on what kind of medications you're taking. It's based on whether or not if you've had high blood sugars or low blood sugar episodes in the past. So we really try to individualize it. I'm going to give just the general information, and then from there, what we always advise is that, one, you make an appointment with a diabetes educator, a certified diabetes educator, that you touch base with a registered dietitian, and that you also follow up with your primary care providers so that they can really give you a clearer picture of what the blood sugar levels should be. In general, what's out there for the general public, and remember, this is not for you individuals who say, well, my doctor told me one thing and she's telling me something else. Remember, you always have to go with the individualized information that's been provided to you. But in terms of the general information, we look at really two group, groups that um, exist that give us some guidelines and recommendations as to what the numbers should be. We look at the ADA, the American Diabetes Association guidelines, and then we also look at a second group, which is the ACE guidelines. As our American College of Endocrinologists, as well as the um, clinical ed- um, endocrinologists, um, they provide some pretty strong standards as to what we should or should not be aiming for. And they're always telling us individualize, individualize, individualize. The um, ADA guidelines are, if you are testing your blood sugars pre-meal, it should roughly be between 70 to 130. The ACE guidelines are a little bit um, lower, tighter control. They're recommending that the blood glucose pre-meal should be no more than about 110. Or so,
0: And this is fasting, right? That's
1: absolutely okay. correct. So, um, well, we can also say fasting as well as pre-meal. So we're going to okay. use it for both. Okay. okay. So f- upon first waking up in the morning, um, as well as your before lunch and before your dinner uh, guidelines, we could say 70 to 130 based on ADA, as well as less than or no more than, or equal to 110 for the ACE guidelines.
0: Between meals, how long, in terms of like if you're testing right before you eat a meal, how long should you have waited before actually doing that test? Because like let's say for our frequent eaters, like they're eating every hour or every couple of hours, is that gonna affect the results?
1: Absolutely, that's a great point, Wendy. So as a general rule, myself as a diabetes educator, what I recommend to my clients is that we usually say, try to wait four to five hours between meals. That gives your body enough chance to take in the food, especially those carbohydrates, those doggone carbohydrates <laughs> that you know we all love to death, yes. but raise our blood sugars more rapidly than proteins and fats. It gives your body a chance to take the food, the carbs in, Use it, work it, eliminate what it doesn't need, store what it needs for a later or a future date, and then be ready for the next meal. So a good rule of thumb is to wait about four to five hours between meals. Two hours from the um, first bite of the meal, we usually recommend based on the ADA guidelines that the blood sugar should be no more than 180, and for ACE tighter Control, less than or equal to roughly 140 is a recommendation. You never want the blood sugar lower than 70 because if it's dropping below 70, that's what we call low blood sugar or medical terms, hypoglycemia. So be wary, if you're hitting under 70, you have to take action right away and treat low blood sugar rapidly with quick-acting carbohydrates. Now in terms of the guidelines for A1C, which we're using as a measure of how well controlled the diabetes is, ACE and ADA also differ. The ACE guidelines are that the uh, ACE, I'm sorry, that the A1C should be no more than about 6.5, whereas um, the ADA guidelines are a little higher. They're recommending that it should be less than 7.0 for our three-month average of blood glucose levels. And you might be saying to yourself, well, what's the difference? Well, the endocrinologist group feel that if the blood sugars are running a little bit lower, closer to what a person without diabetes has in terms of their numbers, there's less risk of complications, whereas ADA is recommending that the numbers run a little bit higher. But we always, as I said before, have to really individualize it and say what's going on with that person in their home or in their particular case so that we can make adjustments based on what's happening. If you are on certain medications, throw out everything that I said. (laughs) If you're on insulin, you've got to check your blood sugars before you take your insulin because you don't want to walk around and take insulin and not know what your numbers are. And that's a very important point. If you're on certain medications where you have a higher risk for having low blood sugar and you have a history of having low blood sugar, as well you have to individualize it and the recommendation is that you should be testing more often. If you're a pre-diabetic, you can sometimes get away with not testing at all because we try to use diet as the first line of defense with our folks with prediabetes. So you may or may not need to test with prediabetes. It all depends on what's going on with the blood sugars or with the A1C.
0: And so self-monitoring at home is so important especially if it's been recommended by the doctor um, because this way you have a better idea of how different foods and activities like exercise are affecting your blood sugars. Um, it's really important that you bring your logs and your machine to your doctor's visits, to your visits with your dietitian, so that they can come up with a plan based on how your values are because if you're getting these lows like Margaret spoke about, we need to come up with a plan to address that so that you're not dipping too low. We can figure out what's happening, why you're going low, why the numbers are still high you might need a medication adjustment um so it's really important that that you bring this information to your provider we hope you enjoyed this hit us up let us know what you think if you think it can be helpful to someone that you know share it with a family uh, member or friends and oh i forgot our website <laughs> www.foodheavenmadeeasy.com there's lots of cool stuff on there too um and yeah thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys next time